All right. Sorry, I'm moving on up. There we go. Uh, want to be with my people, right? Uh, oh boy, what do we got going on here? So if you're wondering, if you, if you showed up late and you're like, wait a second, I was coming to listen to Owen. He is back with the teenagers right now, and you are welcome to get up and go on back. I will not be offended whatsoever, I promise you. But uh, no, he had had that idea, I think at the beginning of the school year, like, hey, what would it be like if we just trade places one night? I'm like, hey, let's try it. Let's do it. And uh, I think what I appreciate about his idea is his heart to pastor everybody here at Emmaus. You know what I'm saying? He, he loves everyone, and he takes serious the calling on his life to shepherd everyone's soul, and that uh, everybody here at Emmaus is under his responsibility. And you think about that. That's what Scripture says. That's a, what a weight that is, right? But I'm thankful that he knows that weight, and he feels that weight in a good way that drives him to God for his source of help and strength in that. So what a blessing we have for Owen to be here. And I'm thankful that he wants to go hang out with a bunch of teenagers tonight. So I, I was like, yeah, I'll let you do that. I'll go hang out with adults. That'll be awesome. So it, it, I'm really excited to be here. Um, so trying to think about what in the world we would, what would we talk about tonight? What would I share? And I thought, you know what, let's just, this might be a good opportunity to give a window for you guys as to what we've been doing with students this past semester. So a Wednesday night, just to give you some context, a Wednesday night is kind of like a, a midweek gathering, if you will. Um, and it's crazy. Um, and you guys, I'm sure, those of you with families and stuff, you know how busy you are. Just all the things that are going on with sports and school functions. I mean, Kids are pulled in a million different directions. And so we really, for those that are able to, can come on a Wednesday night, we really want to be good stewards of that time with them. And so uh, we have fun. We play a game to kind of get things mixing up a little bit. We, we spend some time singing together. Typically a student will stand up in front of their peers and share how God is challenging them or encouraging them in their faith. And typically um, I will share a brief message or word that will, would challenge them. And so that's kind of a general look at what a Wednesday might, might look like with our students. And so what, what I try to do as well with students is one of my big primary things that I have to remind myself often is, is to, my goal is to connect students to the church. Like I don't want us to just have our little student ministry back there where they're isolated from everybody. I want them to be connected to church, and so oftentimes what I will do is spend time reiterating some of the things that Owen is communicating to the church as a whole so that they understand that they are a part of the church. And so what we've done over the last semester is we've just been focusing on proclaiming and displaying Jesus and just kind of unpacking that through different passages of Scripture and what it means to be a light in the darkness. And so, um, and that's really been a culmination of, of this entire semester and really even uh, at our fall retreat we just had this past weekend focusing on that. Nathan Hurlbert, I don't know if you've had a chance to meet Nathan. Nathan got to come and hang out with us. He's our IT guy, by the way, if you're not aware of that. But uh, he came. Uh, he's also a pastor. Um, and so he came and hung out with our students and taught one of our sessions and did a great job. And so it was, it was a really great weekend. So I thought I'd maybe just share in summary some of the things that have been shared over the past semester and, and really even recently at our retreat. 
um, you really learn a lot about students by asking questions. Um, and so a lot of times what we'll do just as a fun game to get them interacting with people, but also to have a purpose behind it, you just you kind of ask them, would you rather questions. So some of the questions we asked over the weekend, we said, hey, would you rather be paid a million dollars right on the spot right now or divided up equally over the next 40 years and why? And so you get them together and they partner up and they talk. Uh, we asked them a question, I think, uh, would you rather hang out with your great, 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 great grandparent for the day or your celebrity of your choice? Why? And they talk about it and who knows what they answered. But um, one of the questions we asked uh, that kind of lead into what I want to talk to you guys tonight and what we shared with them was, and it's, it was kind of, it caught them off guard because it went from a million dollars and celebrities to morbid death. So would you want to know when you were going to die and how? Or would you rather be caught off guard? Why? And they all just went, they just kind of froze and it took them a while. And they finally started talking about it. And usually what we do in those situations, especially on that particular key question that's going to launch us into what we're going to be talking about, get some feedback from them. And Nathan, I don't know if you were surprised by it, but it was, it was interesting that probably 95% of everybody did not want to know. They want to be surprised. They want to be caught off guard by death. And I said, okay, why? What are some of your reasons? And they were, it was even more interesting because things that were, and they were just being honest, and I don't think they even understood what they were saying, but they were saying like, why would we want to live all our life knowing the day it's going to happen? That would be depressing. That would, you know, and I started hearing those responses, and I don't, I don't think it connected with them. You're pretending that you're going to not have to deal with something that's going to happen that's going to happen. And it really led perfect into what we were talking about is like there's a potential chance here, guys, that we are walking passively through life pretending that something's not going to happen that actually is going to happen. And we're, we're trying to cater or coddle the life that we have and ignoring the reality of death that's to come. And, and so we, from that, and I'll just kind of go into it, we went to James 4.14, that you're, you're a mist that appears for a little time and vanishes. I mean, it's, it is human nature for us to just not think about death and just to assume it's, it's far off, that it's, that it's distant. But James 14, that message is completely different. Um, any beach lovers here? Anybody? Anybody wish you were at the beach right now? Yeah. Um, I mean, it, you always notice... You notice the saying when you're playing, and playing with it and stuff and you're hanging out with kids or whatever, but I always notice it more when I'm trying to get it off of me. And it's just everywhere, and you're doing everything you can to clean it off. And every once in a while, you just notice that odd, strange grain of sand that's in the weirdest spot, like up here on your shoulder or something. And you look at it, and you're like, man, that's the smallest thing ever. And you compare that grain of sand to something you could, you know, a clump of sand that you could hold in your hand. You compare and contrast, and you're like, there's, there's no comparing one grain of sand to a handful of sand, right? There's just, there's, this is a lot of sand, and this is really insignificant. Much more the entire grains of sand that's on the beach are sitting on, much more the, the beaches of the world. They are nothing. And still, we cannot conceptualize how small this life is compared to eternity. 
And, and trying to stress that to teenagers, as you can understand, is just death is not on their radar. And, and so we're talking about what it means to proclaim and display Jesus and how our ability, I say our ability, God's grace giving us the means to distinguish daily the temporal from the eternal is tied to how we are going to display and proclaim Jesus. And so we're going to be in 2 Corinthians 5 tonight. If you have your Bible, you can turn that there. And I'm going to be, I'm going to try to be fast. I tend to be long-winded sometimes because I know we're going to be, for those that want to and can, we're going to go over to the worship center and pray over uh, the, the boxes for Operation Christmas Child. So 2 Corinthians chapter 5. This, and, th- and again, this is just an overflow of things we've talked with students. And so I hope, it's, I hope you don't receive it as that. I hope you receive it as though it's for you because that, that is what it is for. And so in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul is, is, he says this. He says, For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, uh, not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. And so this, this verse and the passage that really stems from it is, is basically reminding us about the significance of, of eternity and that our dwelling that we are living right now is, is not a permanent home. It is, a, it is temporary. And it, and it describes that temporary residence as a tent. Now, I don't know how many campers we have here. Anybody? Anybody like to camp? I love to camp. Yeah. Uh, but we don't pack brick and mortar and two-by-fours when we go to the campsite, right? I mean, that would be ridiculous. That would be a waste of time energy and resources to build such a permanent structure at a particular place in time that is going to be so short. And yet, that is the way we are to observe this life. This life is a camping trip. And, and so we set up tents. And so we, we realize it's, it's short. We realize that it's really, 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 really small compared to eternity. And so if we are going to accurately and sincerely and boldly, enthusiastically proclaim and display Jesus, we are daily going to have to distinguish what lasts forever and what lasts just a little while. What matters. Now, obviously, that doesn't mean, you know, uh, I can never go to buy McDonald's because that's a waste of money. Well, that may be a waste of money. I don't know your budget and how that works, but it does require us to really think specifically and biblically and, and begging for the Spirit's help for us to understand how am I investing in a brick and mortar on a campsite? How am I wasting my time and my energy? How can I accurately passionately proclaim and display Jesus by turning my back on that which is a waste. Now, here's the reality. As I'm talking to students, I'm saying these things and their eyes are just like, oh, that seems really hard. It is. It's, it's painfully hard. Because when we live in such a temporary place, with temporary things and temporary pleasures, it's hard to keep our mind. What does the scripture say in Colossians 3? If you've been raised with Christ, seek 
those things that are above, um, that, that's hard. That's, that's difficult. Um, but that's, that's, that's what we ought to do. I, I like what the psalmist says in chapter 39, verse 4, and you kind of get the sense that the psalmist is recognizing the difficulty of living for eternity. And he says, O oh Lord, make me know my end and what is the measure of my days. Let me know how fleeting I am. What a prayer to pray that we would say, God, I, I know that without a shadow of doubt, I am who I am by the grace of God. Apart from you, I am still, I'm still in, in rebellion to you. I still do not acknowledge your loving authority over my life. But because you've changed me, I, I now see what a privilege it is for me to be able to proclaim and display what you've done in my life to others. That, that ought to be what we're thinking and what we're working on. And then also realizing then that God helped me to see how fleeting my life is and how little I have to be able to do that. And how little I ought to be investing in things that are going to be gone tomorrow, but in things that will last forever. So it's hard because it's going to cost. I mean, I, I look at our teenagers, and it is legitimate to think that some of our teenagers, if they want to be faithful to the Lord, that they may have friends who turn their back on them. It is legitimate to think that they are going to have to say no to some particular opportunities because they are limiting their commitments. That they might have to do without the latest and the greatest because they're going to invest in the kingdom. That doesn't, that doesn't come natural. It's interesting how much I struggle spiritually, how I want to wake up automatically on fire for the Lord. I don't, I don't know if you feel that tension. And I shared this quote in a sermon I preached recently. Like John Piper says, he wakes up and feels like Satan's sitting on his chest. Just like he wakes up and his default is not, yes, Jesus, you're awesome, I love you, I give my life to you. Like, I, I don't wake up feeling that way. Like, I have to preach to myself the gospel. I have to, man, focus on the word of God and his promises. And I have to, to kind of get myself in the mirror and look at myself and say, Jared, this is truth. Embrace it and live it. And, and I, I see what our teenagers wrestle with, and they're at that point where they've not yet learned the practice of doing business with themselves. They're still working through that, some of them. And so, um, if, if we've been raised with Christ, we have to seek things that are above. Um, and later on in Colossians 3, I think, verse 5, I mean, you talk about, I mean, we, we think, we hear the word murder, and we automatically think of criminals, prison time, hatred, violence. But here's the deal. Scripture portrays us as believers as being murderers. Dramatic pause. Just murdering the right thing. Colossians 3.5, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. That's a, that's a violent scripture that we are actually to get violent with our earthliness. Expose it. Let light in. I, man, I've had some of the coolest conversations with students re in recently who are confessing struggles. And they're feeling, they're, they're struggling and they're feeling the weight of that and they're shame and guilt and I'm trying to tell him praise God he's given you the grace to confess that to somebody because you just let a little light into the darkness 
We just let a little light in the darkness. And so we have to be violent with ourselves. We have to be determined, obviously, in the strength that the Lord provides us. But man, our earthliness, we have to do battle with that. If we're going to display and proclaim Jesus, we're going to daily distinguish the eternal from the temporary. We've got to do business with our earthliness. Um, and, and you see how difficult and painful it can be, because look at verse 2 in 2 Corinthians 5. Look at verse 2. And also in verse 4, it says this in verse 2 of chapter 5, 2 Corinthians, for in this tent we what? What does your translation say? We groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, it says in verse 4. How many of you can remember a time you were so sick or you were in such pain that there was a natural, like, uh, just this, this groan. I mean, I remember a specific time when I was just, I don't know what I was sick from. And I just, it was just like, that was my language for that seat. I was like, oh, Christine, hey, how are you doing? Uh, you know, you just, I'm, I'm just, you just, that groan. I mean, it's, it's hard to understand what that looks like spiritually, but it's, it's just this, this yearning to be made whole. When, when you're sick and you're in pain, you're just like, I want it to be back to normal. I just, I want it to be like that so bad. And, and, and when, we, when, we, when we fight against our earthliness, when we begin living in light of eternity, the more we want to display and proclaim Jesus, it's like the more of that burden we're going to sense and feel what is earthly in us. And, and, and quite honestly, if there's a lack of groaning, a lack of yearning in our heart and our life for the things of eternity, quite possibly that's evidence that we are groaning and yearning for things of this world. And, and I say this to myself. Am I yearning for my neighbors to know the Lord? Am, am I praying every single day that my boys might confess Jesus as their Lord? Am I, am, I, am I really hungry to see God eradicate some sins in my life that I just find myself consistently struggling with? Is there, do you sense in your heart and your life that there really is some eternal groaning? Where you're like, because I think sometimes we as church people, when we groan for eternity, really it's about them. Like, especially around political seasons, like, oh, can't wait till we don't have to deal with all of them and all of this when we get to heaven, when really what we ought to be groaning is for them and for ourselves. And if we're not groaning for those things, what are we, because we're all groaning for something. You, you ask our students, like, what do you wish you could change in your life right now? What do you wish you could have in your life right now? And obviously, um, sometimes those answers are giving some light into what they are really aiming to achieve and aiming to desire, really, in this life. So displaying Jesus, it requires us to distinguish the eternal from the, the temporal. Understanding it's difficult, but it certainly is not optional. And it's, I don't say it's optional in that, hey, if you want to be on God's good side, you better start doing these things. No, it's he who begins a good work in you is faithful to complete it. But there's a lot of things that he does in between to get you to this point. So when I say it's not optional, I mean, if you've been raised with Christ, then he is bent on you changing, bent on you seeing his glory, bent on you proclaiming, displaying him. 
And those things, that sanctification that is happening is the evidence that he has started something and that he's going to finish it. And so if there's ever in, in that hearing that there's any sense where you're like, okay, I better pull my big boys up, my big boy pants up, and I better get to work because it's not optional. That's, that's, that's not the gospel. The gospel is, here I am. I'm screwed up, messed up sinner. I know who I ought to be, and I know that I will never get there apart from your grace. God, you've started this in me, and you say you're going to finish it. Would you please work this out in me right now? It's Philippians 2, 12, where it says, work out your salvation with uh, fear and trembling. And then what does verse 13 say? For it is he who is working in you for his goodwill and pleasure. It's an interesting, weird concept that we we work we we work between the start and finish but as we're working we have hope in realizing that's not for me that's from him that's an encouragement and that's really leads us to where Paul's going here look at verse five it's not optional he's he's going to do this in us and the assurance and the hope we have for him to finish is the spirit he says who has given us the spirit as a guarantee he who, excuse me, it says, he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So this, this idea of distinguishing the temporary from the eternal, it being difficult and hard, but, but we, we realize that we are we're groaning for heaven, we're groaning for the eternal, for him to make all things new in us, and he has ordained that for us. That is the life of the believer, is that we, we fight for, for the eternal, we groan in the midst of it because it can be hard and difficult, but we have assurance that while we are doing it, while we're yearning for heaven, he has given us a guarantee. He has given us a spirit. And so, so many times I think, and with students, understanding the ministry of the Holy Spirit can be a difficult thing. I know Owen preached on that on a Sunday morning not, not too long ago. So when, when students are experiencing conviction of sin, oftentimes they feel shame and guilt. And I want them to say, no, that is the Holy Spirit at work in you. That is, that is a help. That be, find assurance in that, that the Lord has not forsaken you, that he wants to finish what he has started in you. Don't be ashamed. Don't be guilty. Just run away from the sin and run to Jesus. The, the ministry of the Spirit is to be a help. It's to be an assurance to us as we groan, as we fight to seek the things that are above. And so it's, it's really important that we that we fight to believe what the Lord is doing in our life through the ministry that he gives us in the, in the Holy Spirit. You know, Jesus said, it's good that I leave you because if I go, I send the helper. And interesting that the disciples had no concept of that at the time when he was saying that. Like, what? It's good that you're gone? No way. Um, I had a conversation with a student recently and just talking about their struggles and it was just like this sense of like, I just wish I could talk to God face to face. I'm like... Listen, that's the Holy Spirit. That's, that's the, the ministry we have of the Holy Spirit is a help and a blessing to us. And because he has given us the Spirit, and because we have help, you see in verse 6, 2 Corinthians 5, so we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. So this idea of fighting for eternal, groaning, sometimes reduced to a crawl, and we're fighting to, to, to believe God's word, but we are encouraged and we're helped by the Holy Spirit. And because of that help, 
we are to be of good courage. We're to be encouraged by the work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, God provides that assurance through the Holy Spirit, and, and we can have hope in the midst of the difficulties that we face because obedience isn't always easy. It's hard, but let's be of good courage knowing that what he started, he will finish. And obviously, all of this requires faith, as it says in verse 7, just moving right along in this passage. 2 Corinthians 5, 6, and 7 says, We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith and not by sight. We, <laughs> we did a little illustration. I thought about doing it tonight, but it just probably wouldn't go over well. I don't know if anybody would volunteer to do this. So what we did with our students is we brought like a five-foot-long two-by-four and had some really strong guys who would stand on either side of the two-by-four and hold it, I don't know what, six inches above the ground. And, and then we, we called on a, a, a young seventh, eighth-grade guy student, and we blindfolded him, and we asked him in front of the group, said, do you trust us? He's like, yes, I do. I said, okay, we're going to ask you to step up on top of the board. And so he's blindfolded. He steps up on the board. And while he's up there, we have two other individuals. So if you can imagine, I'm standing, I'm him. I'm standing on the two by four. Two other individuals come on his side that he can brace their shoulders. So he's standing on this two by four that these two big guys are holding. He's standing on it. It's about six inches off the ground. He's got his hand on these guys' shoulder. And I say, again, do you trust us? And so I asked that over and over again. I said, okay, if you trust us, guys, raise the board. And so the kid's like, I mean, he's blindfolded, and he's just like, what's, what's going on? And so did we raise the board? Not at all. The board stayed about three to four inches off the ground the whole time. But these guys that were his brace did this just a little bit. So it gave the sense that he was being lifted off the ground. And so we would pause. We'd say again, Andrew, do you trust us? Uh, yeah. I was like, okay, guys, let's raise the board a little bit more. And we just kept going and kept going and kept going till he could barely touch their shoulders. And ultimately, those guys split. And he was up there like this, and he's like, ah. And he fell off, and then, to his surprise, it wasn't four or five feet. It was just this far. And, and we used that as a visual of an understanding that, that so many of our students in their faith, they're still, they don't... They're, they're still figuring out what it means to walk by faith. And, and they're still, they feel like the way you do that is to walk by sight. What I feel is right, what seems good, they'll, they'll ask themselves, should I do this or should I not? Well, it doesn't seem like it's wrong or it doesn't feel wrong. And it's it's this, this sight, this sense, this feeling type mentality. And in Scripture, if we are going to accurately display and proclaim Christ, we have to do that based upon the truth, what is revealed in the Word of God by the power of Spirit, and, and only then will we display Jesus accurately. If we're going to walk this life by sight, um, that, is, that is going to be a, a horrible, horrible way to live. And so it is, it is, it is being changed by the Lord. It is being encouraged by the Spirit and it is trusting in his word, not trusting in ourselves, not trusting in what feels right, what, what we think could be right, but it, it's trusting in the revealed word of God. And then it says in verse 9, starting to wrap this up, it says in verse 9, because 
we're not trying to please ourselves. We're not trying to do what makes us look good amongst people. The goal is, is Jesus. He is our aim. That's why we must walk by faith, because it says in verse 9, so whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. And so this, this is what God changes in those he saves. Again, from the beginning, we rebelled against God. We, we, we did not trust his loving authority. He makes us in his image, yet then all of a sudden we believe that we know what is best. I don't trust that God is good. I don't trust that God loves me. It's like my son, Jeremiah, he's four years old and he's riding the bike. He's on his training wheels and the sidewalk's just not good enough for him. He just feels like in order to really fly, he has to be down in the street. But as a loving father, I'm not going to allow him to do that. But he just cannot see my love in that command. He just doesn't see it. But that is what we do as sinners. We just don't really believe that God knows what's best. God really, it's what Adam and Eve did in the garden, right? God really, God really isn't for us. He, that's, that, God is for us. He loves us and he knows what's best for us. And he wants us to trust his loving authority over us. But we, we rebel. We go our own way, as the scripture says. And so when God saves us from sin... We no longer see him as this rigid boss trying to ruin our fun, but really as a loving father who's wanting to protect us and help us. And so in changing our hearts and starting that good work in us through the gospel of Jesus Christ, we then begin to realize and understand my aim in life is no longer for me. I used to do that. It led to destruction. And if I don't turn from myself, if I don't repent, if I don't trust in Jesus, it will lead to my ultimate destruction. And so therefore, God, because you've opened my eyes to see that, my aim is now to please you. You are good. You do love me. You do know what is best for me. And you want others to know that. So I'm going to proclaim and display that to other people. And I just, I just wonder how, how are we seeing God? How do we view him? We will never display Jesus accurately nor sincerely until we see God through the eyes of faith, until we see that he genuinely does love us, that he longs to rescue us from ourselves. Not just that one time when we became Christians, but every single day God wants us to rehearse and remind ourselves of the good news of Jesus Christ. Because we know that one day, Every single one of us will stand before the Lord, not as Emmaus Baptist Church, not as a family unit, but we as individuals will stand before the Lord. In verse 10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. And so it's important as we hear a verse like that, again, that we not be influenced to think, okay, well, I better get my act together because I'm going to stand before him and I better do good. No, it's it's about looking at, the, the, looking at a life and, and finding evidence that God has truly changed us and that we are living in light of that change for what is to come. And I think this is a question to ask ourselves regularly and, and, and may be a, a good means to encourage others around us, and that is, how is the victory of Jesus impacting and changing your life right now? If we could give an open mic right now, what do you think? How is the victory of Jesus 
impacting and changing your life right now. That's important. And you know what? There may be seasons where that may be hard to answer. And my encouragement to you is to walk by faith. Keep trusting him. Keep begging him to help you see and distinguish the temporary from the eternal. Keep proclaiming and displaying Jesus and trust him that he who began a good work will finish it. And he's doing a lot of things in between, sometimes without your knowledge, but trust that he is. Hope in the gospel that he is good enough. Let's pray together. God, we come to you tonight and we thank you for your word. God, and I thank you that whatever stage of life we find ourselves in, whether we are teenagers or we are mature in our faith, God, at the same time, none of us, none of us ever get to a point where we need you less. That every single one of us here at Emmaus Baptist Church need you desperately. The, the foot of the cross, it's been said before, the foot of the cross, the ground is level. There are no statuses. There are no levels where someone needs Jesus less. We all need you, Jesus, and we thank you that you have promised us that your righteousness is enough to make us right with God. And so, Lord, we, we need that and we trust in that. And, God, we just pray in the meantime Lord, that you would help us every single day to do the hard thing, and that is to look really honestly and carefully at our lives. Help us, Lord, to distinguish the eternal from the temporary and help us to give our lives to that which is of above, not of this earth. And help us to be of good courage, knowing that you have given us the spirit to propel us along in that. And Lord, help us to walk by faith, that not according to what feels right or seems right, but to, to live according to faith, to, to walk with you and to trust you even, even in the hardest of moments. And so, God, will you do a work in our, our minds and our hearts, Lord, that we might accurately proclaim and display your work, that we might be a visible reflection of your victory, but also be an audible reflection of that to this world as we proclaim and display who you are and what you've done in us. And it's your name we pray. Amen.